So, I mean, we service everybody. Um, you know, Domino's, Little Caesars, Hungry Howie's, Marco's, Papa's, Papa Romano's, Papa John's, uh, everybody. We, we do them all. This is Keith Heim. He's been running his company, Big Guy Service and Repair, for about 12 years. Keith's expertise is pretty critical to the pizzerias he services. He does repairs on perhaps the single most critical tool in any pizza shop. Laura, do you want to guess what that is? Is it the uh, the dough mixer? Um, the, ca- the cash register. Good call and points for creativity, but no. He fixes the ovens. Oh, of course. The oven. So I'm going to go turn this on. You'll hear there's kind of like a bit of a noise to it. So... You're saying that he can't fix flavor. <laughs> Sadly, <laughs> no. But he has everything to do with how your pizza turns out. Well, that's not good. The Allen set screw in there is stripped. The conveyor oven may not be the sexiest tech in a modern commercial kitchen, but you can't have a big pizza business without an oven that can be standardized across hundreds, even thousands of pizza shops all over the world. In this case, the conveyor oven. Ah, yes. And one of our pizza kings is believed to have invented this kitchen marvel. As far as, no, I don't don't believe that he invented the conveyor oven. I think that's more of a... Wait, what? All right, we'll get to the bottom of that later. But the fact is that the conveyor oven is one of many innovations that helped Michigan's pizza kings deliver better, hotter, faster pizza to the people and elevate their product to a global stage. From Michigan Radio, I'm April Bear. And I'm Laura Weber Davis. This is Doe Dynasty. On this episode, early pizza industry innovations. We're going to talk about three major contributions from our Michigan Dough dynasties that made the pizza industry what it is today. There were more than three, but these were some of the biggest ones. But to get there, we have to talk about their businesses as they were being built. So let's go back to the 1960s, an era of post-war pizza proliferation. By 1965, both Domino's and Little Caesars have opened their doors and are expanding. Their first customer came in and ordered a chicken basket. And um, Dad said, oh, you're our first chicken customer, so this is complimentary. Denise Illich, daughter of Little Caesars founders Mike and Marion Illich. The family still owns the company. Denise is talking about the early days of the very first shop in 1959 in Garden City. And then second customer came in, they ordered a fish basket. And he did the same thing. And he said, you're our first fish customer. It's for free. And then a third customer came in. They ordered a pizza. 
And dad was about to say, my mother was at the register. She always works the register, so she wasn't in the back. And so he had said, oh my God, you're, you're my, you're, you know, the first pizza customer. It's... And she cut him off and she said, that'll be two sixty-five. dollars <laughs> <laughs> Denise says this story shows the kind of partnership that her parents had from the beginning. Mike Illich was the idea guy, and Marion was the financial wizard. The Illiches first expand their business in Metro Detroit, and then in the city of Detroit proper, focusing on densely populated residential areas of working families. They carve out a niche for themselves, offering fast takeout pizza and 15-minute service. Meanwhile, Domino's founder Tom Monahan opens a few pizza shops in Washtenaw County. In his mind, it's the perfect place to focus on a different niche, delivery in a target-rich environment. University of Michigan and Eastern Michigan University are both in Washtenaw County, just a couple of miles apart. What becomes Domino's offers quick and easy delivery. That's a real boon for families as well as college students because you could feed a hungry crowd for not a lot of money. Carol Helstowski is the author of Pizza, A Global History. They knew, right, students didn't have a lot of money and wanted quick, cheap food. And if you think about it, that goes back to the origins of pizza in Naples as being quick, cheap, filling food, you know, food for the poor, food for the workers. So he's got three Domino's storefronts offering speedy delivery. And then he puts three dots on his Domino's logo and he's off to the races. It's a brewing contest of expanding pizza companies in a small geographic area. Which brings us to the first major innovation that really allows these small but growing businesses to take off, the pizza supply chain. As each business continued to grow, the brand and the product had to stay consistent across locations. Every chain has strategies for doing this. Mike Illich's strategy was to take control of the supply chain. When it first started was with mushrooms. So the mushrooms came canned from China. That's how Denise remembers it. And dad did not want that, but no one was doing fresh mushrooms because that was a lot more expensive. And so what he decided to do as a young entrepreneur is start a mushroom farm. And it was on Telegraph Road in Southfield, but it was like an office building. But they started growing mushrooms because he wanted fresh mushrooms. And it was literally just called Little Caesar's Mushroom Farm. And that was sort of the beginning. And then after that, he started to want to control more of the product on the pizza and making sure that the sauce was done right and the toppings were done right. And so we formed a supply company called Blue Line Foods. Blue Line Food Service Distribution is still around, still in Michigan, based in Farmington, and still owned by Illich Holdings. They supply food and packaging to companies all around the world, Little Caesars being just one of them. What is proprietary about Little Caesars is a spice blend. And so my grandfather and my uncle, there is a spice room in the warehouse where all they do is blend spices. And my grandfather did that till the day he died. Meanwhile, over at Domino's, Tom Monahan took that supply chain strategy just one step further. What they did early on 
was they created a commissary system. The supply chain centers are amazing. Domino's has central commissaries that make the dough and, and truck them, as you see on the highways. In our upstairs were our offices, and the downstairs and the basement were our commissary. They had about 130, 140. The central commissary. In the early days, this looked like a central location for Domino's that would do all of the food prep and then send it out to a handful of stores. Wait, so commissary, like as in military style? Yeah, both he and Mike Illich spent some time in the armed services, but Monahan says he took the idea from actually another restaurateur. And this is totally an aside, but a nugget that Michiganders might appreciate. That restaurateur was Bill Knapps. No, wait a minute. Bill Knapps? Like the restaurant Bill Knapps with the chocolate cakes and stuff? Yep, the very same. And for folks who haven't seen it, it's kind of like uh, fancy Red Lobster or Olive Garden, except just like stick-to-your-gut American cooking. Here's Tom Monahan himself talking about the commissary. This was part of a speech that he gave at a Rotary Club meeting back in 1979. Now we have three parts to our business. We have the pizza business... We have the franchise business, and we have we have a commissary, which sold all the food to our franchises, and it's one of the secrets to our store doing well, I believe. Stop for a minute when you need to, okay? Okay, all right. Yeah. Jenny, hi. Hi, thank you for coming to the World Resource Center. So we are in the lobby of the World Resource Center, and there is a class in the center of our building at our Domino's Pizza store. Fun. Every... All right, so this is Jenny Foraker, and she is the current Senior Director of Communications at Domino's. If I'm ordering pizza without my family, I will order a Pacific veggie, and if I'm ordering with my kids, we order ham and bacon. We paid her a visit at headquarters in Ann Arbor. Jenny tours us around the office, which has some very sleek, modern furniture. This place is so, like, futuristic. There's a bunch of artifacts, but it's also, like, that is the slickest, like, living room set I've ever seen. (laughs) Well, we've got a lot of history, but we're also, you know, we're a brand on the cutting edge, and so I think this space really reflects that. On the second floor... There's a huge glass wall that overlooks a kitchen, an actual functioning Domino's kitchen, just like you might see in a store. Franchisees from all over the country come here to train. On the wall behind us, there's a TV screen playing a promotional video. That's our supply chain center, that video. In other words, the central commissary. You go to the supply chain centers and they're amazing. So how it works is the supply chain center driver comes into the store after the store has closed or before it opens, takes out all of the old inventory, refreshes with new inventory, locks up the store and leaves so that when the manager comes in, they're stocked and ready to go. it's done for them? It's done for them. For real? Yeah. That's been since the founding. And the reason is, is so that managers can just focus on managing a store and supply chain will worry about making sure they have food. Also, our supply chain centers manufacture fresh dough. So they bring in the fresh dough, they bring in the toppings, they bring in the boxes, anything you need. That's like, that's a picture. You just saw a video of someone doing that. Come, they come off the truck and they supply, they stock the store for the manager. I just want to know how I can get this at my house. <laughs> because Please come be, and yeah. fill my fridge. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's not as easy as people might think. My name is Dave Brandon. I'm executive chairman of Domino's Pizza. And my favorite pizza is whatever is selling the most at the moment. Always the salesman. He also served as the company's CEO from 1999 to 2010. 
the ability to manufacture that dough ball, keep it in our in our dough making operations, in our coolers for the right period of time, get it on a cold food truck that keeps it refrigerated, get it in a cooler in the store, and then use it during its most optimal window is not an easy thing to do, and we've systematized that. There are plenty of pizza chains that don't go this route. Maybe each franchisee is responsible for gathering their own inventory, or maybe they all get the ingredients delivered, but they make their dough fresh in store, like Little Caesars does. So why does Domino's go through all the trouble of developing a commissary? Tom Monahan was just obsessive about figuring out ways to create an operational format in the store that took out time and motion and get that product out the door quickly so that it could be safely delivered. And um, at some point, Tom realized that he had something that could become very large. And as these concepts grow and spread geographically and you get more franchisees in the mix, you can imagine a world where they read that mushrooms are on sale at Kroger, so they run down because they can save a few bucks buying their mushrooms from Kroger, or they find a cheaper cheese, or pretty soon you start to lose what is truly the definition of a brand, and that is the promise of consistency. So I think the genesis of the whole supply chain was really a function of quality control and consistency. We should clarify, Domino's was not the very first company ever to utilize a system like this. But assuming Domino's really has been using the system since its founding, it's likely that it was the first big pizza chain to use a commissary. I don't know that we would take credit for being the first to think of that, but perhaps we're one of the first to really embrace it and continue it over a long period of time. After the break, we'll look at another innovation that changed the industry, one that Mike Illich is often credited for inventing, but we're not so sure. More in a bit. Support for the Doe Dynasty podcast comes from Visit Detroit, featuring the Detroit Pizza Pass, a digital passport to curated pizza restaurants in Metro Detroit with mobile check-in opportunities at each location. Information at visitdetroit.com slash digital passes. Support for the Doe Dynasty podcast comes from Visit Detroit, featuring the Detroit Pizza Pass, a digital passport to curated pizza restaurants in Metro Detroit with mobile check-in opportunities at each location. Information at visitdetroit.com slash digital passes. This is Doe Dynasty. I'm April Bear. And I'm Laura Weber Davis. All right, so you're a pizza person. You've received your dough and your sauce and your cheese, your toppings, all perfectly sliced from the central commissary. What does one do with such ingredients? You bake them. Right. Which brings us to our second pizza innovation from these pizza kings. The oven. And not just any oven. It's forced air. It's not like your oven at home. Your oven at home doesn't, I mean, they're, they're very noisy. And it, there's openings on both ends. And the heat's just pouring out constantly. This is Keith Heim. And he is the oven repair master that we were shadowing at the top of the show. I love my pie. Deep dish style, more or less. Like the Detroit style. 
pepperoni, mushroom, bacon. Keith is living the dream. The guy literally hops around the state all day repairing pizza ovens. So he knows all the ins and outs and evolutions of this piece of technology. Obviously, pizza ovens far predate the rise of pizza chains. But there is a type of pizza oven that was designed specifically for the fast-paced operations of these businesses. So it's just like this big metal belt. It's like a conveyor belt. He's talking about the conveyor oven. It just goes one one direction, and most pizzas cook between 5 minutes to 13 minutes. It depends on the style, how deep it is, blah, blah, and then we won't even get into Chicago. That's a whole different ballgame. You set them on there, and then it runs through, and it bakes it, comes out the other side, pull it off with whatever device you're using. depends on the style of if it's in the pan or on a screen or whatever. Then you throw in the box, cut it up, send it on its way. Bob's your uncle. Exactly. The whole point is uh, keep it simple and production. And for Little Caesars, speed was crucial. Here's Denise Illich. We were a carryout and are a carryout concept. And so we promised 15 minute service from the time you ordered your pizza to the time you picked it up. Some people, like maybe on the internet, say that Mike Illich actually invented the conveyor oven to speed up this process. And so we actually asked Denise about this claim. Well, it's certainly, he certainly was a pioneer in creating a conveyor oven. And the reason that it was so critical for us is that we were serving two pieces for the price of one. So we had additional pizzas to move through the store quickly and be able to service our customers. So you see, even Denise will state that her dad was a pioneer, but not the originator. Mike Illich actually does have two U.S. patents to his name. Both are for different models of a carryout food tray. And then there's the patents that Little Caesars Enterprises is assigned. There's a Little Caesars-themed jungle gym, patented. They totally have to bring that back. They do not, because (laughs) pizza grease and jungle gyms don't go together. Um, Other patents that Little Caesars held were a pizza breadstick combo product and a method for preparing pizza. But no sign of a pizza oven. Right. We found an anecdote of another Michigander who claims that his pizza shop, a shop called Pizzuti's in Westland, that he started using a conveyor oven in 1976, which was one year before Mike Illich probably started using it. But, you know, all of this is just really hard to document. Mike Illich may not have invented the conveyor oven, but he helped to usher it into wider circulation and used it to expand his business with ease. The conveyor oven quickly became a staple in the late 70s to early 80s, and it changed the game. Very much so. Here's Keith Heim again, talking to us after his oven repair job. Very much so. I mean, it's it's so less labor intensive. Um, you don't have to stand there and hover the oven. I mean, I, I did the same thing when I was 14. I had to, that's what I made. I made pizzas in the, the, the hot room, in, in the hot oven, and constantly spinning them and maintaining them. If you walk away, oh, that's burnt. Now that our pizza is hot out of the oven, it's time to get the product to the people. And this is where we have one more Michigan pizza industry innovation. And this is one that we all take for granted. Like, yeah, of course, but it actually wasn't always this way. And it's the box, the pizza box. 
Why are boxes such a big deal in the industry? Oh my gosh, because that's how you like show up at the customer's door. <laughs> you have to care about the box. It's important. That's Jenny Foraker at Domino's HQ. Is the corrugated box embraced at Domino's as something that Domino's really pioneered or championed from the beginning? Oh, we know that we did. (laughs) I mean, I think that's part of the core of our history is that, you know, um, Mr. Monahan, when, you know, he was thinking very, he's very focused on operations and everything that went into making the best store and the best pizza experience, that was something that, you know, those boxes were something that he focused on and worked on with our um, box manufacturer. Tom said, efficiency. It's all about that. It has to stack neatly in the store. Uh, it has to look good, and it has to hold on to the heat of the pizza. Scott Weiner of Scott's Pizza Tours in New York City. He says Tom Monahan insisted on using a corrugated cardboard box for Domino's pizzas instead of the paperboard boxes that, like, you'd get at a bakery. And I interviewed Tom Monahan for when I put out my book about pizza boxes. And I'll never forget that conversation. The best thing that ever happened was at the very end of it. And I said, well, you know, you've had such an impact on pizza boxes because Tom Monahan and Domino's really brought about the ubiquity of the corrugated pizza box. And I said, oh, you, this pioneer, you really brought this whole thing. And I said, you know, is there anything else that you want to that you want to add to the story? And he says... I just never thought a pizza box was very important, and I'm shocked to hear anybody's writing a book about it. And I was like, wait, but what do you mean? In your book, you write about how you went to Triad, this paper company, and you begged them to design this box, and you engineered a way out of the problems that they were having with it. And he said, it was like the one element of the puzzle that he didn't remember every detail with when I talked to him on the phone. Who wouldn't want to write a biography about the pizza box? A page turner, if you ask me. The corrugated boxes played a role in a whole system of efficiency within Domino's. It's important. He wasn't so concerned about the pizza itself. He was more concerned about how it got to the customer, which is why Domino's became famous as his delivery brand. And the 30 minutes or less became the big deal for Domino's. They weren't the first to deliver a pizza, not by far but they revolutionized the way that delivery works. And they're still doing that. Well, you can see where this is going. With the right factors and processes in place, the right attention to efficiency, it was possible for each of these pizza brands to expand beyond the basic concept for their stores. So with these innovations and efficiencies, both Domino's and Little Caesars really start picking up steam in an American economy that's embracing the franchisee model for fast and cheap food. Here's Denise Illich. Dad said that he was flying on an airplane and he was sitting next to a, uh, an oil man from Texas. And they struck up a conversation and he started talking about royalties and how lucrative and profitable royalties are in the oil business. And that really piqued his interest in franchising. And this is the thing that's starting to happen in American food all over the place. Americans are getting interested in fast food and with consistent taste over multiple storefronts. And the business opportunities therein are abundant. Throughout the 1950s, other chains had set a precedent of affordability, convenience, and consistency. McDonald's led the pack. Ronald! Hey, Ronald! Here I am, kid! Hey, isn't watching TV fun? Especially when you got delicious McDonald's hamburgers! And others started following suit. 
You got your KFC. Kentucky Fried Chicken. Made from the Colonel's secret recipe of 11 herbs and spices. You got your Taco Bell. Taco Bell, the best Mexican food in town. Is that the bell? She. All offering convenience to American families. And it was a convenient business model, too. Denise says Little Caesars began franchise expansion along the I-75 corridor from Michigan to Florida. From there, they expanded to the coasts. I, you know, started there when I was 14. And as my career grew, the company grew. I went from like um, a pizza person to a receptionist, to a secretary, to a law clerk. I kind of just moved up. And it was at that time when we went national with national television and I was responsible for all of our commercials. It was at that moment that I realized that we were not a local mom and pop chain or a regional pizza chain, but we were a national chain. And the same thing is happening with rapid growth at Domino's. They expand quickly with franchisees in the Midwest and in the East Coast, focusing on areas with college campuses and then military bases. They're not only saturating American markets, but Domino's is expanding outward. Carol Helstowski, author of Pizza, A Global History. They're also trying to cater to what they understand are local tastes. And uh, when Domino's, for example, expands into the Northeast, they understand that people there like thin crust pizza or crust with, that's thinner. Uh, so they offer that in addition to their standard pizza. And that kind of becomes the Domino's model, uh, where if they're moving into an area, they'll stand back and observe and say, OK, what are local ingredients that people might like? It's a phenomenon that scholars call glocalization as opposed to globalization. Domino's goes from having, I think, a couple hundred right restaurants in the end of the 70s. Um, it decides in 83 to go international, expanding into first Canada. And now, of course, it's global. But by 1989, Domino's has thousands of restaurants. So let me get this straight. Once the pizza franchise model is proved successful, the... Uh, Dominoes start falling, so to speak? Ugh, no. <laughs> but it's true! Pizza Hut has been banging away out of its headquarters in Wichita, Kansas. At the same time, Michigan's Hungry Howie's opens in Taylor, Michigan. Jet's Pizza, which might be the regional chain most widely recognized as serving Detroit style, pops up in Sterling Heights. And in 1984, not to be lost in the sauce, Papa John's joins the chain pizza industry. It didn't take long for all these brands to get up in each other's business. In our next episode, we'll talk about what the most successful players started doing with their pizza power. It'd be really hard to imagine um, Detroit, downtown Detroit, today, if you didn't have the Illich family. That's next time on Doe Dynasty. listening to Doe Dynasty, a limited-run podcast series from Michigan Radio. I'm April Bear, thin crust, mushroom, and pepperoni. I'm Laura Weber-Davis, pineapple Detroit-style deep dish. Thank you very much. 
If you like what you've heard, share the pod with a friend. People who pod together and pizza together stay together. There is much more than the pod. Sign up for our newsletter to get exclusive pizza-related content and more fun stuff at michiganradio.org slash pizza. Today's episode was produced by Ronia Cabansag, Pepperoni, and Hot Honey Devotee. What? That's amazing. Other producers on the podcast are Mercedes Mejia, April Van Buren, and OG pizza delivery guy, Mike Blank. Rachel Ishikawa is the podcast editor. Our web team is Jody Westrick and Paulette Parker with help from Emma Winowicki. Special thanks to Pizza Consigliere, Holly Eaton, Zoe Clark, and Rebecca Williams, and to Tessa Kresh, Olivia Meradian, and Kate Weiser. Thanks also to John Carell for telling us about Pizzuti's and to the Bentley Historical Library for archival audio. And thank you to Steve Green, publisher of PMQ Pizza Magazine, for giving us some big picture perspective on Michigan's pizza story. We really appreciate all of his industry wisdom. Our theme music is from Personal and the Pizzas, additional music from Audio Network and Blue Dot Sessions. Till next time, pass the red pepper flakes and for heaven's sakes, tip your driver. I mean, at least 20%, right? Yes, at least. Bye. I don't care what the devil